Hello, I'm Leo Doherty, the Minister for Defence People and Veterans, and you're listening to Veterans Work, the podcast, a series that explores the myriad of skills and talents that make veterans so valuable in business. I'm Leo Doherty, the Minister for Defence People and Veterans, and I support Veterans Work. Hello and welcome to Veterans Work, the podcast. I'm Kate Silverton. In this final episode, we take a look at where we are with veterans' employment and where veterans sit in the post-COVID world. I'm joined by David Richmond, Independent Veterans Advisor to UK Government Ministers at Cabinet Office, Ray Locke, Chief Executive of the Forces in Mind Trust, Laura Blair, Director of Employment from the Officers Association, and Chris Reckier, Veteran and Partner at Deloitte, one of the founders of Veterans Work. So welcome, everybody. I'd like to start, if I may, by asking you all a little bit of colour about your background, your career to date, and most importantly, the organisations that you represent and why you're here today. Should we start with you, David? Yeah, uh, well, David Richmond, I, I served in the army for 26 years as, a, as an infantry officer, um, managed to get myself shot in Afghanistan, which brought my career to an end uh, for, for after four years of surgery and rehab, then went to Help for Heroes for a while and set up recovery services there, um, and then worked for myself for a bit became the director of the Office for Veterans Affairs for 18 months, and now I'm the independent veterans advisor to the government. So slightly potted history, but um, I've been involved in veterans in the military for my whole working life, really. And the main reason why you felt it was important to be part of this podcast? Oh, I think, you know, the veteran community, I don't think anybody goes into the military, actually, expecting somehow to be treated differently when they leave. I've, I've never met anybody who wanted to do that. And I still haven't. Um, but I think that there's a what, what campaigns, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan, brought into sharp relief, is that there's a sort of, there's a moral duty on the nation to service people who have served and, and may may have suffered as a consequence, and also for those who leave on 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 good terms and leave with um, a really successful transition, um, actually just to to accept that. Um, and recognise the skills and the experience and the qualifications and everything they bring into society. Um, and I think yeah, that's, that's what this podcast can really shine a light on. Chris. Um, so the, um, the, the short history um, is as follows. I, um, at 16 years old, got on the train at, at York Station, um, having um, been to the careers office in York and joined the army. Um, and... Um, uh, joined the Royal Artillery um, and uh, went through basic training and um, was quickly posted to Germany um, where my career really started. First Gulf War back in 1990 and during that period um, was asked, you know, do you want to go to Sandhurst? So I said, um, yep, <clears throat> after much deliberation and talk with my parents and what have you, we were quite keen on it. Um, and yeah, went to Sandhurst in '93, having had four years as a as, as a as a young soldier. Um, commissioned back into the Royal Artillery, into Commando Forces, and spent my officer career um, doing that. And was fortunate enough to travel around the world, a number of operational tours in Northern Ireland and the Middle East. And then um, at um, I was probably 29 years old, decided to to leave. 
Um, I was in pool at the time and um, by luck or by design, somewhere along the line, I, I had a few meetings over breakfast with people and, and managed to secure a role in Arthur Anderson. And that was my kind of route into the city. Um, for those that follow, we quickly became Deloitte about two years later. Um, and I became a partner here in Deloitte in 2011. So net, net, been in Deloitte for 20 years um, and 14 years before that in the military. And why did you found Veterans Work? Well, I mean, we'd set up the Deloitte Military Transition and Talent Programme back in 2012, and that was all geared to helping the service lever, and it was pointed towards the service lever. So very specific in that regard. And there was a lot of people at the time across the city and across, you know, UK PLC um, starting to focus on that. And it coincided with, you know, some of the operations that David talks about. And, and people coming back from those places. Um, but in 2016, I felt as though there was more work that we could do, not just by helping the veteran, but helping UK PLC understand the veteran. And so we set up Veterans Work. We, for the first time, wrote the Veterans Work, the report. Um, and, and with the help of Ray and Forces in Mind Trust and the Officers Association, we collaborated and I think for the first time, put on paper um, the reasons why it was good to hire a veteran. And it was backed up with data for the first time. And that data was shared with CEOs and CFOs and you know, people in management positions in, in organisations, all designed to help um, UK PLC understand the veteran and that and that's why we set it up and then from there it, it, it it's gone from strength to strength over the last four or five years and you know we followed it up with the films then we had another report um we had the debate last year that brought 500 organizations together to talk about why it's good to hire veterans um and as we navigate this current covid19 period um and and whatever follows uh, we felt as though it was important to um, continue to develop the narrative using veterans work and why it's good to hire veterans in this moment as well, which led us to the podcasts. And um, here, here we are today. We are indeed. And Laura? Um, I grew up in Northern Ireland in a little coastal town and went to university in, in Belfast in Queens and joined the officer training course. So that was my first experience of, of what it might be like to join the military. And at the end of university, I knew that I wanted an adventure. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but, but the military sparked something in me. So I um, commissioned from the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst in 2000, served 12 years, the best 12 years of my life, actually in terms of really, really significant leadership experience at a young age and travel um you know i deployed to bosnia to iraq to afghanistan and and it was an absolute privilege to be in a position to lead soldiers an absolute privilege um at the end of that i got to the 12 year point and 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 wanted to see what else was out there so left in 2012 and went to and and, and had a really 
good seamless transition and my first job was with a, a military employment charity so it was really interesting to be on the other side of the fence and and really talk about the veteran skill set and promote it to industry a few years after that i i, I entered into the, the the corporate world and became a head of business development for a learning and, and development company with with no previous corporate experience but but what they sensed was that that leadership ability and that creativity and that resilience and and to get that job was you know i i was i was shocked but i was really pleased um, why shocked because i hadn't had any corporate experience corporate experience before and i thought you know here's a job in front of me um the thought of 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 being a business developer and and selling and promoting something i think i could do but i don't have the corporate experience to do it but what they saw was that you know, and the CEO told me this, what they saw was that veteran skill set. So let me just drill yeah. down that, if we can, because I think this is part of uh, sort of the root core of what we've been discussing mm -hmm. of late. So d was it your good representation, do you think, your excellence in representing your skill set, or did they just, rec did the employer recognise it? What would you say the balance was there? I think the balance was that the, the employer recognised it. There was some sort of spark and, and 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 connection and and i suppose the training that the, the military gives you in terms of you know this ability to deliver under pressure and the ability to see the wider picture and importantly the the ability to to, to go into any type of organization and motivate enthuse engage and inspire and if you can do that with a, a team and bring them to together as a cohesive body then, then actually you sense the potential and you want to invest in it. That was my experience. Um, and then a few years after that, there was something I always wanted to do and I always wanted to teach. So I took a complete career change, retrained as a teacher, became a qualified teacher in, in history and politics and then, and then ended up being a, an assistant principal in charge of all things behavior. And, and that was a really rewarding experience as well. And, and again, that veteran skill set translates seamlessly into the, into the classroom as well, in terms of motivating, engaging, enthusing, and, in, and inspiring the next generation. And then after that, I, I had a calling back to the military charity sector. And, and here I am again as the, the employment director of the Officers Association. And a quick summary of that, then, in terms of what, I mean, most people will know, but just in terms of what you do and, and, and why you're taking part in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're a, we're a military charity and we exist to provide employment support to, to, to officers who, who transition out and we provide that through life. So an officer can come back and, and use our employment services as often as they want to. And we've been involved in, in veterans work since, since 2016, as, as well as forces in mind trust. Um, and, and veterans work has, has been instrumental, I think, in terms of promoting the veteran skill set across UK PLC, across industry. And, you know, my day to day job is, is going out, talking to employers and, and with real passion as a veteran myself, selling the skill set and, and not just as something that, you know, you, you applaud, but actually it's, it's something you invest in. This is a, a high quality business resource. Lovely. I'm scribbling questions because I'm going to come back to you, but I want to bring in Ray, given that we've talked about uh, forces mm. in mind. Mm. So, Ray, take it away. Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for all the uh, shout-outs. I suppose, a bit like Chris, my military journey started at the age of 16. Um, unlike Chris, I had my mother with me because 
Um, it was A-level choices time and uh, she said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I quite fancy driving racing cars or flying fast <laughs> jets. She said, well, you know, racing cars is a bit of a stretch, but why don't we go along to the careers information office? So the two of us marched in. I had my first job interview ever, was accepted into the Royal Air Force and then spent nearly 30 years on a whole variety of, of, of jobs, flying airplanes, the fast jets I wanted to do, tornadoes, a bit of Gulf War, like, like the two gentlemen here. Um, and as my career progressed, I sort of found myself increasingly at Shrivenham at the Defence Academy, where we were looking at education, evidence, research, concepts. And so when I left the Air Force in 2012, it was the time that Forces in Mind Trust was just being founded. And they wanted the first chief exec, they wanted somebody who understood a bit of military, understood a bit of research, and, and basically could bring together all the good bits about what goes on in the armed forces community, find out better ways to support the armed forces community, uh, and, and basically get the evidence and then present it in a way that is compelling. Now, I've just finished, actually, it's my last week in charge, uh, eight and a half years there, and some of the some of the projects we've done have been truly transformational, I would say. But very early on, unless we parented with somebody else, um, then it was very difficult to actually make any headway. Nobody had heard of Forces in Mind Trust. Nobody really was interested in us. So if you can get yourself partnered perhaps by Deloitte or the Officers Association, then suddenly the work that you're doing has much greater traction. And that's exactly why veterans work, and I think, has been such a huge success. And I'd like to assess where we think UK PLC is on this scale of uh, understanding um, and recognising that skill set that we've, we've been discussing. But David, perhaps I can just come back to you because you've mentioned before that you, you've said we can be lazy in the way we think about veterans in business. And I just wondered what you meant by that. And, and, and more mm. importantly, what can we do to change it if it now still needs changing, given all the good work that you, you've been doing? Yeah, I think there's the sort of the awareness of um, what veterans offer is probably patchy around the country. I don't think there's a sort of a, a, there's a single view and it, from organisation to organisation will vary. What I mean when I say we're, we're lazy, I think, and I mean it in the broadest sense, we generally are lazy, is we tend to say, well, veterans, you know, they, they, um, they work well in teams and they've got a bit of leadership and they can be leaders and, or be led um, and they're reliable and they turn up on all those sort of things. Well, yes, I mean, to a very large degree, that's all true. There's only one or two who aren't, of course, but, but generally that's the case. What we never talk about is the 14,500 people who leave every year who are doctors and dentists and nurses and plumbers and plant operators and port operators and, and secretaries and comm specialists and satellite engineers and, and you, know, you could go on and on and on. We never talk about that. That's what goes into society every single year to the tune of 14,500 people. So how can we better do that? I think we, and, and it's a very broad, and this, this is a great example of, of, of part of the we, start talking about that the skills that come, the experience that comes with it, the not just the sort of the, the sort of as I described probably slightly pejoratively the lazy bit, but the the detailed technical understanding these these guys and girls bring. Well, here's a group of people for whom it is their natural habitat. That's what you're mm -hmm. trained and equipped and formed up to go and operate in. So engage it, embrace mm -hmm. it. You're really we, we as a, as are those who who know it from the inside as well as for a period of time now from the outside. We need to start evangelising about it a lot more. 
and and I sh think shifting some of the narrative on onto that much more positive uh, view of that veteran community, um, while ensuring that those who do need support, who have dominated the narrative for so long, are still receiving the best possible support. It's not an either or; it's 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 to get the balance right. Laura, you're nodding. I I mean the public perception at the minute of the military is is high, and and the military's response to the pandemic was was exceptional. Whether that was you know supporting the ambulance services, whether that was supporting the, the rollout of a, of a mass vaccination program. And in, and in this FUCA world that, that David talks about, you know, our veterans are adaptable, they're creative, they're resilient. Therefore, I would argue they are really well placed to step into a, to a COVID VUCA environment. And, and, and you know, there'll be a, there is already a significant war on talent. You know, this is one of the most competitive jobs markets we've, we've ever seen. Um, but what we're also seeing, which is really interesting in the Officers Association, is, is the increased competitiveness between employers to access this veteran talent pool. Ah, so they are recognising uh, it then? We, we are seeing that, yes. And, that, and you know, they want, they want to talk to veterans and they want to hear their story. They want to be involved in, in employment forums. They want to be involved in, in networking events. And you know that 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 COVID experience and and the media being in the, in the in the public spotlight, I think has raised that veteran profile and and their skill set. I think what's also happened is you know there, there are there are there are service leavers transitioning out of the military ready for their second career, but there's also a significant veteran population who may have been out of the military four, five, six years, have another layer of experience, may have cut their teeth commercially already. Are seeking a fresh challenge and actually employers we're finding are, are also wanting to speak to them as well you know so 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 we are we are busier than ever in some respects and, and and seeing a lot of competitiveness to access that veteran talent pool. chris is that is that your experience in terms of the changes <clears throat> and especially in the past year so i think to, to the point around changes i um i i refer to the the phrase you know the narrative and people have used that already but what we've been trying to do is change the narrative over the last few years. Um, and I think the narrative has moved on. And I think that UK PLC has um, understood more about what the service lever can, can bring to, to their organisation. Still lots more to do mm -hmm. and there forever will be. I think we've got to continue to push it. But the narrative most certainly has moved on. And the way I look at it, in simple terms is that five years ago when we're trying to educate UK PLC about service leavers we're talking about skills and, and that's the right thing that you know how do you transfer the skills that you've learnt in the military into something that's of value to an organization so skills transfer but 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 the narrative has moved on because we've gone beyond that now and we're not just talking about skills that either people have got or can be given um, we're talking about the behaviours, the inherent behaviours mm. that service leavers have got and can bring to organisations. For example? Well, we've talked about resilience and, and what have you, and we've seen that through these last few months. You know, the resilience um, and... Adaptability, the, the, I imagine. The way people can work, yeah, the adaptability point, um, means that not only have we, are we bringing service leavers with skills, we're bringing them with behaviours that are aligned to an organisation. 
Now, when you do that and you overlay it, certainly to the current environment that we're in, um, you start to see how things like that adaptability, that resilience, on top of the technical skills that they bring, the ones that David mentions and the ones that get taught, what you then have is this subconscious impact positively on organisational culture. That's, that's, that's my view. Um, but I think that's what, that's what happens. And organisations don't necessarily see it until it's kind of on top of them. And, 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 and that's what I think is happening. That's how the narrative, in my view, has moved on. And clearly, we've got to continue to reinforce that. But I think skills, I think behaviours, I think culture... And then underlying that, you've got all of these adaptability, resilience, and all of those things. But it has moved on. More I, to do. I, I but... like that. That makes me smile when you say, I'm sort of imagining, and we've just been speaking to uh, Tony now, works at, at Amazon from the previous podcast. And it's that idea of, as you say, sort of in, in, introducing another diverse element to the workforce, that someone who brings so much experience that is different and... I don't know. I'm just just makes me smile because it shakes things up a little bit. I think does that is that would that be a right way of looking at it, Ray? I mean, I, I wonder what you think of which way service leavers are uniquely skilled to contribute. So I think everything that people have said, I I completely support that. But I'm going to put a huge butt in here, um, and, and around two two areas. The first one is we've just published a future look over the next decade um, called Lifting Our Sights, and very clearly identified in that is a growing gap between what the public perceive a veteran brings to society, not just employment, but we'll focus on employment, and the reality. Um, and partly that's because there are going to be fewer people serving. I mean, David said 14,500 people leave every year. Well, that's tiny. You know, Tesco's employs three times more people than are currently serving the armed forces. You are 10 times more likely to know somebody who works in the NHS than works in the armed forces. And, and so this gap between actually your, your own experience of what serving and what veterans look like is going, is going to increase. And of course, the integrated review, which has recently announced, played great uh, treasure in cyber and other areas, which I would argue would become even less translatable into civilian perceptions. That's not to say there's skills aren't absolutely what the future where data and automation are taking us are going to need. And, and then if I made just the second but, because David picked up on this, and it's a really important point. From somebody who is an armed forces charity, we do still need to raise public funds from, uh, you know, from very generous donations to provide that extra amount of support for veterans in need. And so not surprisingly, the escalators have lots of adverts with wounded, injured, sick, and, and you know, people who are in need. That's how charities raise their money. And then on the other hand, we're here today talking about, well, how brilliant veterans are. And of course, both of those are absolutely true. And somehow we need to be able to nuance that so that the public gets that as well, that it's happy to generate uh, funds, donate to the poppy appeal or whatever, and at the same time, go out and say, and I really want to employ that veteran because he or she is going to be fabulous for my SME. I hear you. So how are you doing that then? Well, um, we pin great hopes on a national approach. The Office of Veterans Affairs, which David set up, um, it's probably helped set up, should I? But, uh, set up, set up, set up. but played a leading role in setting up 
Um, you know, we think that because this has to be everybody, so it has to be the charities that are fundraising, it has to be government ministers who stand up in the House of Commons, it has to be corporate UK, everybody has to contribute to improving the public perception because the public isn't stupid, the public understands, but I just think it's a slightly difficult message to get across. It's always one thing or the other. So if we have led by the cabinet office, this 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 mobilizing of influences, if you like, of people who have evidence like ourselves and, and like Deloitte, then actually we can get a much more nuanced understanding. Yeah, but I can appreciate the difficulty in what you're trying to do. Is there is have you have you got a clear picture as yet? Because I'm trying to I'm a very visual person, but in terms of sort of branding, if I can put it like that, and it sounds a bit crass, but it is branding in a way because as you say, you're trying to raise money on the one hand and and uh, talk very positively about the skill sets and yeah. what what veterans can bring. How do you do that? But it's, I think to some degree there's a there's a there's a couple of well there's more than a couple of strands to it, but the there's an element I think the the public in the in the sort of through the, the noughties and the and the twenty tens remembered that because it was stark it was brought in as a stark relief for them that sending young men and women on military operations has consequences. Mm. Memories are short in public and, and you know very rarely does that feature anywhere on the news agenda anymore or on on many agenda public agendas actually. But the seed is still there. There's, I think that if we can continue to remind people that actually there are consequences of military operations, but also it doesn't happen in proportionally. There's not there's not that many people who serve who suffer in that way. But the fourteen and a half thousand people who are flowing out, the vast majority of whom transition potentially are going to transition very well. They're going to bring a whole host of skills. The the ability to 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 take an organisation from a from a quiet barracks in Canterbury and drop it into dusty Musakala without too many people um, um, blinking along the way, doesn't happen with stupid people. It happens because you have talented, capable, professional individuals at all levels, from private soldier to general, who do their job as well and understand what they, that where they fit in, and who don't only look up and down, you know, north and south, they look left and right. They understand how they integrate horizontally with what's going on, not just vertically. And I think if we can, the narrative that we need to develop is, is based around those skills, based around that sort of experience. And also with the, with the, the aspect of the Office for Veterans Affairs leading the work to, to achieve, to make the UK the best country in the world to be a veteran, is not something government can do alone. And that plays to, yeah, to race point. This is something that we, we have to do together. And um, I think whereas you look, at, you look back to 2006, 2007, um, and the progression that's been made in support to the armed forces in the round since then has been pretty damn good, frankly. Long way to go yet. Um, within the charity sector, things have improved. Within government, things have improved. There's greater awareness within the business community, and there's probably more, more academic work too. Mm. I think the next, next major muscle move, next iteration of this, is, is rather than allow these, these great improvements to, to, to take root, within those parts of the sector you operate across you then loop it across those bits and you begin to have those parts of the veterans ecosystem if you like beginning to work out what is their role in this plan how can i how can i as a as an individual or as an organization play a role which will help us become the best country in the world to be a veteran mm. it's, it's, it becomes a team of a, te a team effort not 
charities looking at government, government looking at charities, yeah. academia looking at them both. It becomes much more a, un, a, a, a single effort. I get that. I mean, I was going to drill back into the MOD and just ask you whether you think it's getting better at uh, arranging work placements for those still serving, because that, that sort of transition period is important as well. It's sort of slightly drilling down on what you've just said, I'm afraid. But I just wondered what your views are on that, because I think, Laura, um, you'd said actually you felt that things were getting better in that regard. Uh, certainly, I'd, I'd go back to Chris's point. There is more to do, but 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 I am seeing a, a shift, certainly in the in the Officers' Association. I think there could. I think there's more to be done in terms of companies, employers offering military placements um, to, to veterans because because actually veterans are attracted to companies that do offer that type of placement and it allows them a seamless transition into into a new working environment and it becomes more than just hiring a veteran. Actually, this is about what's what's the strategy behind the talent pipeline to develop them and progress them through so they can have a second rewarding career. I think there is more to do in the military um, transition workshop space. People should be talking about it, celebrating Armed Forces Day in order to continue to, to sustain the veteran in the public eye. There's the employer recognition scheme that employers can get involved in as well, which, which shows their support to defence as a whole. And there's, there's, there's wider, deeper conversations to be had with the Ministry of Defence, the Career Transition Partnership, which is, is the official resettlement provider for service leavers, and, and the military charity sector as well. And I think that continued dialogue will, will keep the veteran in the public eye, and, and more than anything, it will, it will pull them into employment rather than us pushing them mm. into employment. I, I, I think the, the word for me is collaboration. And, and, and it's collaboration, not now just at the point of the service leaver leaving the armed forces, it's collaboration throughout their career. So th from the point that they join, through their service years, to the moment that they start to leave, we should be creating the, the, the ecosystem that David refers to that allows us not to just engage at the end of that career when that person is about to leave, but throughout their career, even go a stage further and enhance their career, help their career develop through secondments, through um, interaction. Um, the, the military sends its people intra-service, you know, across the Navy, across the Army, across the Air Force, all of the time to do different jobs. Why can't we offer and create an environment where they can come into industry mid-career and learn about what's going on and take that positive experience back into the military mm. so that it's getting something as well. It, it, it's about collaboration and, and, and it's not at the point where the person's leaving. It should actually be... Through life. Through the duration. But that works both ways as well because by having people who perhaps are mid-career serving actually in civilian workplace as well, then the job of it, educating civilian employers as to what veterans are actually like, it becomes so much easier because they, they're already working alongside them. But it's difficult. I mean, we should acknowledge that the MOD has made huge improvements in the eight years of my time at Forces in Mine Trust, but there are still things to be done. And people need to be treated as individuals a great sort of mass inoculation and resettlement is simply not going to work. Um, they need to come out of the service, as we use the expression, an empowered civilian. 
Because if you think about people who maybe joined at the age of 16 or 18, they, they've never had to navigate the civilian world. And, and you know, we joke about they don't register for GPs because they didn't realise they had to. But there are other much more important things. And, and so building life skills into that whole transition resettlement period is, again, is another aspect that's so important so that people come out not as needy veterans as empowered civilians. That has that has actually come up on some of the previous um, episodes that almost, I think it was Jacko or someone who said we should almost be preparing somebody from day one to leave, not in a negative way, but just exactly as you've just been saying. Yeah. What would you say then, Ray, in terms of your experience of the main barriers for an individual mm. who's looking to make that mm. transition? Well, I mean, there are two. I mean, the first one is pure and simple, just finding the time to, to do the preparation that's necessary. And again, the MOD sets aside time for you to do it, but you, you've got to actually find it within your, your working routine. And if you can start it much, much earlier than currently is, is sort of legislated for, then all the better, you're better prepared. And by the way, you bring your family with you as well. It's not just the serving person that's transitioned, it's their partner, it's their families. They've all got to be involved in that, in, in that whole process. But I think ultimately, the individual themselves has to take responsibility, has to recognise from the day they arrive in the armed forces that this is just a part of a long working life. It's not going to be the whole life. It's, a, it, it's ages since that was the case. Nobody leaves the armed forces now and never works again, never lives in a civilian community. So that's got to become the norm. And not to forget the storytelling. We've had some really, really compelling stories on the podcast so far, which I think for me, if I was an employer sitting there listening to the experience of so many people that I've interviewed throughout the course of this series, I would simply be saying, I need to create a job for you because I need you in my, I need you in my company. You know, it's, 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 uh, and I think that it can be, I mean, knowing uh, sort of former military personnel that that can be something because there's a, a, a lovely sort of humility and it's just, that's what we do. But actually we, I think there's a tendency to maybe underestimate just how powerful storytelling can be in that regard in terms of, because we can all sit here and go, well, I have resilience, I'm adaptable. And yeah, yeah, well, how does that really translate? But not to forget that it's where the stories are told that suddenly someone can think, Oh, that kind of resilience. <laughs> okay, you know, Chris, you're nodding. I mean, would you? Yeah, I think. I mean, all, all of the people that I've speak to that are service leavers, and, and we've all of us here, and everybody on the other the other um, episodes will have had countless conversations with 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 service leavers. What one of the the biggest single factors that I try and get across though is. Is that, is that storytelling. It's like, okay, think about what you have done and think about the value that it will add to that organisation. And, it, and it, it might not be the big things that you've done that translate to the big value, by the way. It could be the smaller things that you've done that the organisation actually understands more in terms of uh, value creation for them. But if you can understand that and you can understand what you've done, what you've brought then that's great. And I'll give you an example. When I served, um, normal career, came back from Ireland the, the second time, um, and I'll call it a sabbatical. Um, I got nine months running an adventure training centre in North Wales before I then went back down to, to Poole in Dorset. 
Now, interestingly, out of a 14-year career, that nine months was really, really important in terms of transition and um, going into a, a, the city of corporate organisation because I was responsible for a small team of people. I was responsible for the budget. I had to pay the council tax on the building, had to pay the electricity, the gas, all of those things, and run, essentially, a small business on behalf of the military. And so when I talk about transferable skills, I try and get people to think about all of the things that they've done, because actually that single role for me was actually probably more impactful than some of the bombs and bullets that were elsewhere in the career. And, and in terms of transition, now everything else collabor- you know, comes together and, and creates a bigger picture. But if you can find those nuggets, you know, those little vignettes of story, then, then, then I think you're in good shape because people then do understand that. We've spoken about it before when, when we had the debate. Was it a year or two years ago? It's time's gone. But we, almost that there's a need, I thought, um, just as a layperson, almost like a little Bible with these are the skills that you acquire in the military and this is how they translate. This is what employers will want. Laura, when you're speaking to employers, do they get it or do you have to really spell it out? This skill equates to this in the workplace. I mean, how does it, how do you make that? Um, I think it, it, it's dependent really on, on the industry that, that we've been talking to. A really good example is, you know, I, I was approached by an Internet of Things company a few months ago that are big in America and are, and are expanding across EMEA, had never hired veteran talent before. But because of, of, of you know, the, the military's response to COVID and, and that real promotion in the public eye, they then actively went to seek it out. And without me having to you know, describe to them what the skill set of a veteran was, they were telling me that they wanted to access resilience, adaptability, creativity, um, leadership skills, motivation, and, and, and someone who could inspire the rest of their team and build a team from scratch and make it into a really, really cohesive body. And that's really exciting to, to hear about something like that. Um, so, so they had got it. Uh, COVID helped them get it. But, but in the main, I think employers have a, have a general understanding of the veteran skill set, but the, but I think there's more to do in terms of us being able to tell them about the technical backgrounds they'll Brit they have and they can bring into the company and that then wider, deeper, soft skill sets as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end with a call to arms, shall we? If there was one thing, I'm going to start with you, David. There was one thing we could do, one call to action when it comes to veteran employment. What would it be? I'll ask each of you. Starting with you. One thing. Let me think. Um, I I would encourage. I think there's a there's a, there's there's one thing I'll throw in first, which actually will inf- sort of uh, impact on my answer. It's really easy when we sit here in in great offices looking over the city of London to get a really London centric view. Most veterans do not work for big organisations. They go on to work for small and medium sized businesses, and most of them don't work in London. And somehow we've got to reach into those communities, those business communities as well. And things like this are, are, are fantastic for doing it. So I'm not, I'm not sort of dissing this mm. podcast, but we've also got to reach out to those, those places too. But I think we, the, the thing I would ask employers, big and small, to do is to offer work placements, get onto the front foot, and I suppose the flip side of that is to ask the MOD to accept them. And the people who are leaving, yeah. the people who are 
are at a certain point in their career, maybe they're not leaving actually, maybe they're mid-career, offer these placements as, a, as almost as a free good to both sides to give experience to people in the business community, in the commercial world, both, and to let the business community see what service... You see, I'm surprised that's not actually happening already. I think it does, but it's bitty. Yeah, a bit, it's yeah. itty bitty. It's all, it's, it depends yeah. who and what. But let, you know, why don't we have a national programme? Why don't we make Is it that you're going to wear that as another hat? <laughs> Can we add I mean, to that workload? <laughs> so, so we need that. I mean, between yeah. you, I think collectively. But I think that's. Yeah. I I would agree. I think people yeah. will be saying that's exactly what we need. Yeah. Is a, is a national yeah. program. Yeah, I mean, it's it is it is really easy to talk to Deloitte about this. It's easy to talk to Vodafone, to BT, to Jaguar. Do you know the big corporates? In my experience, absolutely get it. And of course, they have the resources, they can run their own uh, programs, they can do mentoring or have people within their own organizations. But as David said, the, the vast majority of employer organizations in the UK are not the Deloitte's, they're the, they're the SMEs. Now, with all respect to them, they probably aren't going to tune into this podcast. We need to find a way to get to them. And using the confederations, the umbrella organizations, the membership organizations, we think that is the key. So my call to action, if you like, would be to target not the big corporates, but all those membership, the chambers of commerce, fantastic organisations. If we can get them energised, then actually the message gets through as well. Can I task you with that one? Oh, already on it. <laughs> already on it. We're yeah. working with you know Black Country uh, Chamber of Commerce at the moment, who are running a little pilot with us. It's looking very promising. Um, cool. So What's we, happening? Absolutely. Well, so we've uh, funded them to bring their members in from this particular chamber of commerce and to do exactly what David has suggested to, you know, to explain, you know, how it is that they can benefit from having uh, ex-service personnel on their employment, how they can actually go about recruiting them using officers association, for example, um, and how they could learn from the bigger corporates in terms of mentoring and running their own programs, which are probably not appropriate for them, but that doesn't mean to say they can't learn from it. If this works, and I think it will, then we'll be rolling this out ideally to the whole of the, you know, the British Chamber of Commerce network. But that's not everybody, of course. We've got lots of others, Federation of Small Businesses. These are the people who we really want to be targeting. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for that. Laura? Um, my, I think my call to P UK PLC would be to, to think more creatively about this and, and, and don't view a veteran as a service lever at the, at the end of their career. That There's more to do in terms of reaching in whilst they're still, still serving. And, you know, there are tech firms, cyber firms, construction, logistics, financial services, consulting firms that could and should be offering secondments while people are still serving. So the company's benef better benefit benefiting from it, but also the, 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 the soldier, the officer is going back in with that additional layer of experience that the MOD will benefit from as well. So, so for me, it's about start the conversations early and engage whilst they're still serving. And if you do that, you add another layer of experience to that service leaver, to that veteran, when they're then preparing to leave and you're enriching the story that, that arguably you want to hear. Mm, lovely. And Chris? Um, I go back to the debate. Um, we had 500 organisations in that room. Um, and then I think about um, what we've achieved um, 
as as veterans work over the past few years and indeed what others have achieved as well it's not just about what we've done there's there's lots of very positive activity and i'll call it the coalition of the willing have really really pushed things forward um you know whether it's large organizations like ours or, or whether it's even small delivery firms that are looking to hire four drivers nationally to help them distribute packages um but a lot of that has been done based on um, your own understanding, your organization's understanding, the connections that you've got with somebody else. Um, and you know you create the ecosystem and the um, and, and, and the environment to communicate and, and and help. What I'd like to see is actually, and we see it now with the OVA, um, but I'd like to see more policy from government. I'd like to see more incentives from for, for um, small firms to hire veterans, um, as well as big firms. We, we, we've seen it on, I think, the national insurance uh, waivers. Yeah, it's one small thing. But I'm sure that there is more that we can do to incentivize small firms, large firms, medium-sized firms to hire veterans. And in doing so, We'll embed them, we'll educate those businesses and we'll shift this onto another level. But but it's got to be incentivized. Otherwise, we'll keep kind of, well, we've, we've talked about the echo chamber before. We'll, 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 we'll remain in this echo chamber. If you incentivize people, well, guess what? They, they tend to listen a little bit more, don't they? And then, and then do. So I'd like to see more of that. Lovely. Let's hope we've done that today. Any other thoughts before I say thank you? Anyone? Anyone to add anything further? I think I would just say that we are dealing very much with the now. We do need to look out over the next decade. There are going to be huge changes. Uh, I would say, you know, pick up lifting our sites because it doesn't matter whether you're in, in media, whether you're a charity, public sector, private sector, there will be something in there for you. And it's kind of, it's my parting gift to the armed forces community because everybody will learn from it and things will be better for the armed forces community. Thank you again then to our guests today, Chris Reckier, Laura Blair, Ray Locke, CBE, and David Richmond, CBE. Thank you for joining me for this series of Veterans Work, the podcast. Bye-bye.